the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word, we're here to take your phone calls and answer your questions. Questions about what we believe as Christians or why. Questions about our Bible. Questions about life. How something you're going through might be remedied by the Word of God, whatever it is that's on your heart, I'll do the best I can to answer those questions, I hope, in a very logical and practical way. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, uh, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send the question that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, you will be a banner at the top of the screen that says call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340 340- 9585. It's Tuesday. We don't have anything going on, so let me get right to questions while we wait for your phone calls. Robert wants to know, uh, Pastor Ron, what happened to Moses' body when God hid it, and then where did he go when he died? Um, Moses' body was disputed over, you'll remember, Robert, um, by um, Michael the archangel and Satan. Satan, of course, wanted it because he knew that if he could preserve the body of Moses, Moses being the Jews' most uh, uh, revered uh, character ever, um, uh, they would have worshipped Moses. And so God literally buried Moses' body. Um, What happened to his body was just that, that God hid it, uh, and it couldn't be done. Now, what happened to his spirit is another question. Uh, and I think that's what you meant when you said, where did he go? Um, his spirit went immediately into a place called paradise. Uh, that was the home uh, for 
uh, all of those who died righteously, as Moses did, by believing, made righteous, of course, by believing in God's Word. Um, in Luke chapter 16, Robert, there's uh, a story. It's not a parable. It's a story. Jesus tells the story of two men who died the same day. Uh, Lazarus, who was a poor man, a beggar, and uh, the rich man that he tried to beg from. They died the same day. Uh, one of them, the rich man, went to the place of torment. Um, he says, I'm on fire. My tongue is on fire in this place. Um, and uh, Lazarus, of course, went to the place that we call paradise or Abraham's bosom. One was a place that was wonderful and glorious. The other place was a place that was not. Moses' body went there. Now, here's something to think about, Robert. There was a time, you'll remember, on the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses was allowed to come back to meet with Jesus. Moses and Elijah met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was there with Peter, James, and John. Uh, and they got to see this, this indescribably glorious experience. Moses' spirit appeared in bodily form, in a glorified form, on the Mount of Transfiguration. God let him come back just for that one event. Can you imagine? Now, remember also that Moses didn't get to go see the Promised Land when he misrepresented God by striking the rock twice instead of just speaking to the rock when the people were thirsty. Um... God took Moses, showed him the promised land from high above it, um, but wouldn't let him go. And that's, of course, when the transition occurred between Moses and Joshua. But we also know grace is a wonderful thing. When Jesus came to bring grace to this earth, when Moses actually got not only to see the promised land, but to stand on that same mountain with Jesus and Elisha at that very moment. So, Robert, that's what happened to Moses body and to his spirit. 340-9585. Here is a question anonymously. How can I know who is worth listening to online because there are so many? Anonymous, you don't give me any clue as to how mature you are as a believer, how much Bible uh, you understand or know, but here's what I would always ask people to do. Um, Before you really start listening to a lot of other people, and even before you start reading a bunch of commentaries, um, spend the extra time just reading the Bible yourself. You you may not think you're understanding much, but you'd be amazed at what God is doing with this supernatural word. And um, I don't think we ought to depend on listening to other people until we've developed a sense of discernment. Now, one of the good things that trying to find commentaries or trying to find good preachers or Bible teachers to listen to, one of the good things that will accomplish is it will give you a sense of discernment. And we all need discernment. It's a wonderful gift from the Lord. You know, it's those times when you hear somebody just preaching and and you think, well, you know, it, it sounds okay, but there's just something missing or... Something doesn't seem quite right. That's discernment. And God needs to develop that discernment in all of us, Anonymous. You know, when I first got saved, and I've shared this with you before, 
but I, I was so, I, I couldn't get enough. I, I literally would spend 10, 12 hours a day uh, reading the Bible, um, reading commentaries. I mean, I was just trying to find everything. And um, I was so curious. And uh, I found a, a School of Theology library in Claremont, California, near where I live, just a couple of miles from, from my home. And uh, I didn't know liberal versus conservative. I didn't know anything at that time. But here's what God really did in trying to dig out answers to so many questions that I had. Uh, I would begin not only reading the Bible, but reading commentaries that people had written. And it didn't take me long to be able to discern which ones to throw out and which ones were keepers. I remember reading Calvin's Institutes, and, and certainly that would, they, they were a keeper, um, but, but there were just some things that didn't seem right, and that would force me then to really study issues of election and predestination and those kinds of, of, of biblical issues. Um, I, I, would, I, I wanted to know one of the, the things that really, really drove me early was the issue of tongues because Paul and I were going to several different churches at the time just because we'd go to the church that we normally went to in the morning. If we'd find a church at meet in the afternoon or a church at meet in the, in the evening, we'd go to that too because we just wanted to go. And the churches had such different styles and people were speaking in tongues all over the place. And I wanted to know why there were differences, so I would dig these things out. Well, in that theological uh, library, um, there was so much that was bad. It is, I now know, the most liberal school of theology in the country. Uh, there was so much that was bad. I'll give you an example. Um, I was trying to study Isaiah, and I kept finding commentaries that said Isaiah didn't write Isaiah. I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody knows Isaiah wrote Isaiah. Even as a young Christian, I knew that Jesus quoted from Isaiah and gave Isaiah credit. But no, this this first part was written by uh, Isaiah 1, then there was Isaiah 2, Deutero, Deutero Isaiah was the, the, the title of the book. Uh, and then even a third writer of Isaiah was suggested uh, later in life. So, um, you know, you, you learn to discern what to keep and what not to keep. And going through those books, there were days I'd spend two, three hours just looking for solid commentary things. All of this to say, uh, it's okay to listen to people, but you have to be able to discern whether what they're telling you is true. Uh, I am amazed, Anonymous, at the um, people um, who come to our church and they'll hand me a card or a piece of paper with somebody's name written. Go listen to this guy on YouTube. He's the best. And these guys are absolute whack jobs. So be very, very careful. Um, here's a rule of thumb. If you're on YouTube and you see a guy with a homemade pulpit and really, really low quality recording equipment, And he, or sometimes she, posts over and over and over repeated videos of them really teaching nobody. Be very, very careful. Find some favorites and listen to them. If you are a fairly new believer, um, I recommend J. Vernon McGee highly. Uh, he's very simple and straightforward. Uh, and he'll give you a good background. Uh, I recommend Adrian Rogers. 
You can listen to him online and get uh, really good stuff. Uh, Anonymous, my stuff is uh, online. All of our stuff is free. You can listen to me. There's a bunch of uh, Calvary Chapel pastors who are really, really good that men I know. So, uh, discern the Bible so that you can let the Holy Spirit give you those warnings. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Manny. I've had this question before, Manny, believe it or not. Jesus said that we were to pluck out our eyes and defend us. Now, I know he didn't mean literally, but how are we supposed to do that? Obviously, as you discerned, he didn't mean literally. But I think that this very important message um, we did not particularly as Christians uh, these couple of thousand years uh, Jesus is saying that we have to deal this forcefully with our sin again he's not being literal and we're not to gouge out our eye or cut off our hand but what he says is that we've got to deal with our sin with that kind of violent violence rather now Again, not literally. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. So I'm going to repeat myself again. But to hate your sin so much, what did Job say? I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at another woman with lust. Um, that's plucking out your eye. Um, Paul says, take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. If you've got ugly thoughts, um, deal with it now, forcefully, today. But if we would respond to our sin this quickly and this severely, then not only would our sin um, be forgiven instantly and our fellowship with God restored, but we would learn day after day after day how to deal with those daily temptations that come into all of our lives. So no, don't pluck out your eyes or cut off your hand, um, but deal with your sin just that way. I once had a guy, Manny, uh, who was a computer expert, and he came to me in, in counseling. He said, Pastor Ron, I've got a problem with pornography. And I just said, my goodness, here, here's, you know, there are filters and, and safeguards and all kinds of things uh, that you can put on your computer. He goes, yeah, but I've done that, but I, I know how to get around them. And I said, if you want to sin that much, then you got to throw away your computer. He said, well, that's how I make my living. I can't throw away my computer. I said, Jesus said to plug out your eye, gouge it out. And he chose not to do it. I saw him a couple of years later, and the problem had gotten worse, as I promised him it would. So that's just one example, Manny, of what it means to gouge out your eye if your eye offends, or to cut off your hand if your hand offends. Margaret says, Pastor Ron, if Jesus died for the whole world, doesn't that mean that everyone's sins are forgiven and that everyone will then go to heaven? Margaret, the answer is no, it doesn't mean that. Jesus' death was um, efficacious, sufficient for everybody who's ever lived. But his death is only efficient for those who receive the free gift of eternal life. So Jesus offers to the whole world, for God so loved the world, not a few, not the elect, but the world, that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. All we have to do 
is believe. Um, the idea that since he died for the world, that everyone's sins are automatically forgiven. The gift of salvation, Margaret, is a, is a gift that has to be opened. It, it, if somebody gives you a present on your birthday or at Christmas or something, uh, and you never open it, you get no value from the gift. Well, the same thing is true of the gift that Jesus brought to this earth. He offers it to everyone, but it has to be received. As um, emotionally pleasing as it might be, for some people that, well, some, somehow everybody's going to heaven. God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Um, it's simply not true, and it is uh, a, a particularly pernicious um, concept, this, this idea of universalism. So, Margaret, I hope that helps. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I am wondering, I went to see the tavern. Cindy? Rep- Cindy, let me let me stop you. For, let me stop you for a minute before you ask. I should say this isn't Cindy. This is Daisy. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to adopt that name. I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me let people in on it. We we had a, a skit for our our women's retreat this Sunday, and uh, I don't know. I think there were seven or eight of the ladies who were involved in it, and um, uh, they were all like something God created and, and Cindy was a pot of daisies, an unhappy pot of daisies to begin with, but then she saw the light and everything changed. So Cindy, thanks for letting me share that. What's your question? Oh, you're welcome. It, it was a joy to do that skit too. And, and it was kind of tailor made for me. I think actually Sheila's just wonderful with her um, <laughs> intuition and the way God uses her for her skits. Anyways, <laughs> I, I went to see the, the replica of the tabernacle, the tent of the tabernacle, and it was amazing. It, it's to think about them, you know, carting it across the desert and pick, setting it up and taking it down and doing everything they did. But now my question is, the lady said that the bema seat in inside the inner part where the holy of holies was, is and uh, that where the angels' wings touched on the top of it, they had a pretty good representation of it, that God's glory would come down and rest on that. And and I'm curious about something else, too, but I'll say that later. Um, I'm curious about, so it was God's glory, but it wasn't all of God that came down in there, was it? Because I would think that if all of God came down and was in that tent, that the priests that walked in there probably wouldn't be walking out. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. That's a great question. And then the other question was about the fire by night and the cloud by day. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was like some kind of different kind of fire or not the kind that, you know, you roast s'mores and marshmallows or anything, <laughs> but just kind of a different a different God fire thing in the, in the cloud? And was he in in the fire, in the cloud, maybe? So anyways, those are my I wonder questions today. I'll, I'm going to get off the phone and listen on the, ra- on the uh, radio. Thank you, Cindy. God bless you. Uh, I'm, I'm told by my producer we're having line problems. I don't know what that means. People can't hear us? or yeah. Okay. We're, we apologize for the problems. I guess they're going to be working on them. Cindy, two things. One, um, it, it's not the Bema seat that you're talking about in the in the tabernacle or later in the temple. It's the mercy seat. The angel's wings are extended over the mercy seat where the high priest on the Day of Atonement would spill the blood. 
offering um, uh, sacrifice for his sins and then the sins of the people. Um, when the glory would fill, when Solomon's temple was dedicated um, as an example, uh, it, it's the Shekinah, that's the Hebrew word, the Shekinah glory of God. And um, it, it was just the, the sort of the, a cloud of glory. It, it wasn't, uh, I mean, it was frightening and yet wonderful at the same time. Um, but but the, the, the idea there is that the glory of God rests. Again, God couldn't come down because you're right. If they saw God, uh, they would perish. But the glory of God came down. And that was to illustrate his pleasure with the sacrifice or his pleasure in Solomon building the first temple. It was just God giving Israel a picture of this is going to be my house where I dwell. Now, God doesn't live in a house made by men, but the idea is this is the place they could come and approach a holy God. Um, the, the the pillar of fire by night and the, the, the cloud by day, it's the same thing. It's his glory. Uh, it was him, um, our Jesus, in the cloud. Now, I want you to think about two things. One, I don't like darkness, so I'll, I'll start with the nighttime. Uh, imagine how scary the wilderness was. I mean, for 40 years, they're in the wilderness and they're surrounded at times by by pagan peoples who wanted them out of the way. And, and there were always the the ites, um, the Amalekites and the Amorites and all of the other ites that were, 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 were threatening them. Um, imagine in those moments of doubt. I mean, if we can even think about this from our perspective all these years uh, later. Um, we have those times when we have doubts. We have those times when we're fill, filled with fear. Wouldn't it be comforting to be able to just go to your tent and open it up for a minute and look out and see that that pillar of fire is still there? God is with us. It's okay. Well, that's what it was. A pillar of fire by night. Now, the desert can get really cold at night. So this wasn't a campfire. This was a more of a tornado fire. And it would rest above the people, staying in the same place until it was time to move. And of course, that fire would generate some heat and make things more comfortable in the daytime in the desert. Especially in the summertime, there would be times when it would be unbearably hot, and yet they had to keep walking. So God gives us what we need. So what did he give me? He gave him shade. There was a cloud and that cloud would hover over them and keep them safe, but mostly let them know that God was there. But both of those uh, questions have the same answer. It was the glory of God in both places. Great question. Let's go to Tanya. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Hi, Papa Ron. How are you? I'm doing really good. We met your friends. They were really, really nice. Isn't that amazing how, how, how small the world really is? I, I wasn't sure they were going to make it to the church, but when she sent me the photo, I thought, oh, man, that's beautiful. So she, I spoke to her today. <laughs> she said, you guys are lovely. She wanted to thank everybody for their warm reception and love in the church. And I said, that's, that's why they, they are, you know, amazing. So thank you so much for, your, for, your, for loving on them. And um, I wanted to ask you a question, and, I have, and, and let me say, this is a question that came today, and I haven't even really – uh, done the, the research, and it has to do with the pre-trib and, and post-tribulation. And I was not aware of <clears throat> why people would say that the pre-tribulation, I don't know, I don't know where pre-trib 
can you explain mm-hmm. to me why the post-tribbers use the Matthew uh, 24, um, 20, verses 29 to 31, with regards to say that they're that we're not uh, that we're not going to be pre-tribulation, and also as a Christian, as a as a as Christians, how important is that when when you're saying? And I never judge anybody's salvation or anything of that nature, mm-hmm. but my question is how important is this because i'm i'm assuming because i'm looking at first thessalonians chapter four and i'm thinking okay we are pre-trip so if you could just kind of expand on that for me pastor ron kind of like i said i haven't done my due diligence yet this is just a question that came up today so i know you'll get me on the right path to, to get all this <laughs> taken care of and so and i, I love you guys i can do that soon. thank you tanya i can't wait uh and if i if i go too much and i'll carry it over on the other side of the break uh, if I if I take too long, we're inside two minutes just now for this half of the show. Uh, Tanya, you asked, why would somebody say we're post-trib? Well, it's because it, it's bad exegesis of the the Matthew passages, the Olivet Discourse. Uh, something we have to really understand, Jesus is dealing with an, a, a, a singularly Jewish issue. He's talking about the great tribulation to come. The Jews are going to reject him. He's talking to them, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And they rejected him. So these things are going to come upon him. And then in the Olivet Discourse, uh, his his disciples ask some questions. And when you really combine, especially Luke and Matthew, you get all kinds of detail in those things. But when the issue is the Great Tribulation, Jesus speaks to his people Israel because those who reject him will be going through the great tribulation. In contrast, the promises he makes to the church is that we're not appointed unto tribulation, but we're appointed unto salvation. We're not appointed to wrath. I'll expand on this, uh, Tanya, on the other side of the break, so please stay tuned and uh, thanks for asking. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. You're listening to The Word of Santa for Life, and we'll be back in two minutes. Welcome to the program. I think we're back. I hope you can hear me. If we are, I'm getting the thumbs up. I ask for forgiveness. We're good, I just heard. So... Thank you very, very much for your patience. Obviously, I am the least technical person on planet Earth, so I just do what they tell me to do. Hey, let me finish with Give me phone numbers one more time, 340-9585 for the second half of our program if you have questions. Uh, let me go back to Tanya's question. Uh, Tanya, the Olivet Discourse is, is, as I said, an entirely Jewish section of Scripture. It has nothing to do with the church. Uh, Jesus only hints at the rapture of the church. He never teaches on it specifically. So when it says uh, two men are in the field and one is taken um, uh, and the other is left, it has nothing to do with the rapture. We assume that, but that's just bad exegesis. Now, let me explain. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, listen, I tell you a mystery. A mystery is something that's not yet been exposed. So Jesus, had he taught on it, Paul wouldn't say this is a mystery. This is a revelation that was given to Paul by 
Jesus. And then, of course, the, the mystery is we will not all sleep or we will not all die, but we will all be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, we'll be caught up to be with him where he is. That's the mystery of the rapture. Again, Jesus hinted on it, at it in John chapter 14. I will come and take you to be with me where I am. Uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, but the rapture is something that the Jewish mind had no concept of. So the rapture of the church is going to happen, uh, and it will be the event that kicks off the Great Tribulation. Now, when Paul writes to the churches in Thessalonica that we're not appointed unto wrath, we have to understand that the Great Tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. It's not anything that that um, anybody would want to be in. Now, I've had people say, but Pastor Ron, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Um, a better translation of that word is trouble, but, but even if you go with the tribulation from the King James, it's not the great tribulation. God cannot pour out his wrath on people who are righteous. When Abraham was talking to Jesus as he was going to go in and destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Abraham said, well, the righteous judge of all the earth judge the righteous with the wicked? The answer is no. So the the, ra- the rapture is a keeping us from wrath, and that's when we'll be taken up to be with Jesus in the air. So, Tanya, there is um, no way that God could leave his people here on earth during the Great Tribulation, since the Great Tribulation is God's wrath. Uh, i tell you one other thing. The people who are asking the questions, um, you can go to our website. You know where it is, Revelation chapter 4. The first teaching I do in Revelation chapter 4 is always on the rapture. And it's a full 45 minutes of why the rapture has to be pre-trib, why it can't be post-trib, or even pre-wrath or mid-trib. Um, um, and, it, and it, it's very extensive. The pictures in the Old Testament are given, the promises uh, in the Old Testament to us uh, are provided. But remember, the Olivet Discourse, Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25, and Luke 21, um, that is uh, dealing with Israel and Israel alone and pointing to uh, the Great Tribulation. By the way, also pointing to a shorter-term fulfillment in 70 A.D. That's sort of the nature of prophecy. So, Tanya, I'm sorry you had to wait for that answer, but I uh, hope that works. 340-9585, uh, Adam's question is this. Pastor Ron, I was raised Catholic, but I'm now questioning, why do you think Catholicism is wrong? Adam, because it's not true. That's the thing that you've got to understand. It doesn't matter what people believe. It doesn't matter uh, how deep your roots are. I am so thrilled, Adam, that you're questioning. Um, two things um, more than any other, and, and these are the two things that uh, especially irritate me about Catholicism. Um, actually, three things. Um, one is that they don't teach that you need to be born again. They teach that infant baptism deals with original sin, and that simply cannot be true. Jesus told the most religious man, a grown man, that he must be born again, Nicodemus, in Jerusalem. Um, the, the other issue, and this one is even stickier for me, is the Eucharist. It's the, the, the bloodless sacrifice of Christ on the cross over and over and over again. It's why we see Christ portrayed on a cross 
that, that Catholics wear. Uh, they believe basically that he's still there. Now, they understand the resurrection from the dead, but they don't apply the resurrection from the dead. And uh, if, if every time that we take the, the Eucharist, uh, we're crucifying the Son of God all over again, well, that's heresy. That's not solid doctrinally. It's diminishing the role that Jesus played. If Jesus is to die continually. Um, and the third, and, and this is... Um, um, on a kind of an equal level, is is the Catholic Church places tradition, the, the Catholic Church tradition, on an equal level with the the Scriptures, the Word of God, as its source of authority. So instead of having one sole source of authority, as we who are believers do, the Word of God, if the Word of God says it, that's that's what forms our practice. That's what forms our our theology. Catholicism will say no church tradition is on an equal level because the Pope is God's vicar on earth and and when he speaks he speaks uh, ex cathedra um, but the problem is of course the history of the Catholic Church has demonstrated that they keep changing their mind and God doesn't so uh, Adam I'm going to be praying for you I, I, I really want you to ask the right questions, dig the answers for yourself. There is nothing that religion, whether it's Catholic, Muslim, Buddhist, or otherwise, there's nothing that religion can do to help you get to heaven. And the idea that all we have to do is go in and confess our sins and we're absolved of our sins and because we're baptized in the church, we're somehow going to make it to heaven even if we never live a minute of any day for Christ. Is, is just the worst kind of false teaching. So Roman Catholicism is wrong. Uh, it doesn't mean there aren't real Christians in the Roman Catholic Church. There are. It's just not the people you might think they are. So Adam, you keep asking questions. Theo. Oh, we got a phone call. Good. Here is... Wimberley, Texas. Let's go to Julia on line one. Julia, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. So Hi. I had a question that I have this friend that we've been friends for a few years, and I recently found out that she is a trans. Did you say so trans? Just, yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Yes. And I just wanted to know, how do I... Can I still be friends with her and, like, prevent her from interfering with my walk with God? Great question, and thank you for asking and caring about your friend. Of course you can be friends with her. Now, I assume that she has transitioned to female. She was a boy? No, vice versa. Okay, so she's a girl, and she's she's transitioning to a male. Um, That's true. Um, just tell her about Jesus. Uh, you can be her friend, tell her you love her, but because you love her, you got to tell her that the choices that she's making are wrong. Uh, explain to her that she was made in the image of God, that God loves her. He made her uh, the way that she is. And um, if, in fact, uh, she has problems with, with uh, the body she's been given by God, then that's something that she can only deal with with God. It's just about feelings. This is about science. It's about biology. But, but even more than that, Julia, this is about 
how God intended for her to, to walk this earth. And we just don't get yes. to change some things. So be her friend, love her, pray for her, but you always be the voice of righteousness and the voice of reason. Now, she may exclude you from uh, her life, but but we hope that's not the case. But whatever the case, you just keep telling her the truth in love. But by all means, keep being her friend. Sir, okay. but, uh, Pastor Ron? Yes? I've tried all that already. She doesn't believe in God or want anything to do with him. Okay. Then you've, you've delivered the message. Tell her that if she ever changes her mind, you're going to be praying for her and you're always going to be available for her. You know, Julia, the one thing that you cannot do is change somebody's mind. They have to want to change. And uh, all we can do is pray that the Holy Spirit would use you and, and begin convicting her uh, in the deep parts of her heart. Um, but the truth is, not even God forces people to change, and so we certainly can't. But God has you in her life for a very important reason. So you you can be her friend, you can be available to her, and when her life is sort of unraveling, um, then uh, you let her know that I'm going to be here for you. I love you. Okay? Sir, but, uh, my, sir, but my parents told me that I should try to start putting distance between us. Well, you know, you've, you've got to obey your, your parents as well. So uh, I, would, I would tell them uh, what I said when you asked the question. Um, but um, I think she'll put the distance between you. I never, Julia, like to see Christians uh, run away from somebody just because they're different than we are. Those are the people that are the object of our ministry and not the enemies of our ministry. And I think too many Christians wanting to be safe, especially in your situation where you've got parents who want to be sure that their daughter is 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 in a good place, a safe place. Uh, they're being protective. I know you understand that. Um, but this is something that I think you've got to talk through. It also might be something, Julia, that as a family, you and your parents can go and talk to your pastor about uh, as well. Uh, because we need Christians who are going to stay in people's lives and talk to them. And I think for for your part, one thing that you can do is you can go to your mom and your dad and you can say, look, I love Jesus. I'm not going to change because of her. And I want to be that one person in her life who demonstrates the love of God. And I think if your parents understand uh, your heart for the Lord, if they understand your heart for your friend, um, just pray that God would change their hearts. Okay? I'll be praying for you, Julia. I'll be praying for you. Those are tough ones. Thank you. Oh, 340-9585. You know, it's always tough. I don't know how I didn't ask Julia how old she was. But it's always tough. We've got to balance obeying our parents. That honors the Lord. And and doing what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, for the parents who are out there. Um, the world is not a safe place. And our job is never to keep our children safe in this world. Our job as Christian parents, and this goes for churches, pastors as well, our job is to equip people to be lights in this world. That's what Jesus said, we're to be salt and light. And we can't be either if we run away from all of the bad things. Um, You don't have to embrace or affirm what people are doing, 
But as long as you really care for somebody, you've got to be that voice that, that always points to Jesus. If she doesn't believe in God, uh, the, the more you stand for God, Julia, the more distance will be created. But, but always ask that the Lord would make you the one person that your friend could come running back to when things start falling apart. And if you distance yourself from her, that wouldn't be the case. You know, uh, before I go to the next question, children in our world, children and teens, they're being ripped off. They're being lied to. And they're being lied to with such um, ferocity that it's easy to, to just sort of fall into the trap of believing what everybody else believes. That's why it's not enough, moms and dads, to take your kids to church. Teach them the Bible. Have them learn the discipline of studying the Bible. This young girl who called Julia, she gets it. She understands that Jesus loves people. And Jesus found himself amongst the people who were in sin. He didn't run from the people who were in sin. They were the ones. We are the ones he came for. And if we're to act like Jesus, if we find ourselves pulling away, then we're taking any light out of their lives. We're tough enough to stand for Jesus in the most difficult places. And our job, I want to say it one more time and then I'll move on, is to prepare our children for the ugliness of this world. The world's not going to change. It's not going to get better. And young people like Julia are going to find the power of God's Spirit working upon them and then through them in supernatural ways um, because they're willing to stay in people's lives. Again, not to be dragged into their sin. Julia, I can tell by her voice, she's not going to put her arm around this girl and say, you know, I love you, so I accept and, and, and affirm whatever you, whatever makes you happy. She's not going to do that. She's too grounded to do that. Moms and dads, we need to let our kids loose with the power of the gospel. It's like a roaring lion. All we need to do is uncage it. So, Julia, I'll be praying for you and for your friend. Let's go to Reuben from Seguin. Hi, Reuben. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? I am blessed, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing really, really well. Thanks. I, I had a chance to speak to Pastor Ken, I believe. Uh-huh. And uh, he's trying to figure out a way to, to help me out. And he hasn't called me this week. Hopefully he'll call me back. I want to see if I can yeah. sit down and talk to you guys because, like I said, I just have some questions. But in the meantime, so, I'll Ruben, just ask you yeah, here. But let, yeah, let me inter- let me interrupt for a moment. Uh, Ken, Pastor Ken is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with his oh. son Caleb. Uh, Caleb is receiving full-ride scholarship offers from all over the country. Oh, and wow. uh, and and Michigan uh, is uh, is where they they were, went for a college visit uh, this past week. He's on his way back right now and probably listening to the show. So I know he talked with you, but he'll be back I think on Friday, and okay. uh, and and they'll they'll be in touch. So okay, great, great, great. In the meantime, 
Uh, I guess I'll just ask you the question. Just a couple of questions right now. Uh, one, and then I'll get off the line and I'll listen to you on the radio. Um, okay. As I told you, I was uh, um, began to read the Bible. Uh, nothing I never. It's something I've never done before, and you know, fascinated by what I've read so far. Uh, got scared in the Book of Deuteronomy because it just scared me to think that God <laughs> would would do what He said He was going to do if they don't obey Him. But anyways, um, I I think it was in the book because I'm in the Book of Samuel right now. I, I I think it was in Joshua. Anyways, when the Ark of of, of the God uh, of the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, mm-hmm. and uh, it was taken into Dagon's temple. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then when the I guess the, the 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 people came in the morning, you know how the Bible says that they found Dagon on the ground and then they put him back, <laughs> and then the next morning they came back and they found found them not only on the ground but is you know broken, and I, and I found that amazing. I was like, look at the power of God, and I mean that's just that's the right. of covenant. Okay, uh, I have a question about Dagon. Who was Dagon? Was he a king or a god to those people? And then there is a, a Christian song which I've heard, and if I'm not mistaken, it says, we pray to Dagon, come alive, come alive. And and I kind of got, well, wait a minute. If God destroyed this Dagon thing in the temple, why are you praying for it to come alive? And they play it a lot on Air One. And I'm thinking about changing my radio stations because, you know, <laughs> I need to look up that song because if that's what they're saying, I don't want to be listening to a song that says, we pray to Dagon, come alive, come alive. Yeah. Okay, so the second thing I want to know, um, um, <clears throat> I know the book of Revelation talks about how God is going to destroy the earth again. And um, there was a reference made uh, in one of the, the chapters that I was reading that there was going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I was wondering, is that does that mean that he's going to destroy this this world physically, like literally destroy it, and then there's going to be a brand new planet? Or, or is it going to be a spiritual thing? And if you could answer those, and I'll listen to you on the radio, I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Ruben. Appreciate it very, very much. God bless you. You will have no idea how many emails and phone calls and questions I get in church. How's Ruben doing? Have you heard from Ruben? So lots and lots of people praying for you. Two things: one, the earth is going to be destroyed. I'll take that one first because it's very quick. Uh, because God, it can't be perfect. For, for for Jesus to live here, it's got to be perfect. And so after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, which will fulfill all of the promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, and Moses, and to David, um, there will be a new earth. And this, this earth is going to literally burn away, burn up, and, and it will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. That's really an important idea. Better than or the same as um, the, the earth that Adam woke up in. And it will be absolutely perfect in ways that we can't even begin to understand. So that's why that's going to happen. Now, the other question. Now, it's a whole new order of things. We, we have to get out of our linear mode of thinking. Uh, everything is going to be a completely new order of things in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, relative to Dagon, I would like for you, Reuben, uh, to email me if you find out uh, who wrote that song uh, or who's, uh, what the words are, because I, I also wouldn't sing any song. It's not a church of Jesus Christ. It's the thing I pray to Dagon, unless what they're doing there is is sort of making a contrast between the pagans and the people of God. Dagon was a fish god, um, had a fish head in a man's body, 
and um, um, that was a, a an idol that was made of so it was massive by the way and so when, when they put the Ark of the Covenant in there and they came in and Dagon was fallen and broken uh, they thought wow I wonder what happened and what happened the next day it's sort of a my God can whip your God kind of thing and God demonstrating his power uh, Reuben, you've also read, if you got to that place where where the, the Philistines who touched it were stricken with hemorrhoids. Can you imagine that? And that's why they wanted to get rid of the ark, finally. Um, the one thing that, that you don't do is you don't mess with God. You don't um, blaspheme him. And unfortunately, that's what God's people eventually did. Uh, Dagon was... Just one of the false gods of the ancient world, the, one of the gods of the Philistines, um, of the other peoples in and around the Promise area. Uh, it was um, uh, Molech was the other one. Um, uh, my producer, the song is called Dry Bones by Lauren Daigle. By the way, Lauren Daigle is under serious fire for for some of her anti-Christian things that she's talking about. Here's a chorus that says, We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive. So dry bones, I don't see Dagon in there at all. Whew, that was quick. Well, thanks for tuning in. I'm sorry for the technical issues at the beginning of this half hour. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.